Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. We say those little bit of greetings, just a down payment on, on conversation afterwards. Um, so we're to the preaching part of this, teaching from the Word, but conversations with one another is important. So people will say what they want to say. We tend to be polite with one another, but just listen for what's going on. Might be a chance afterwards where you just said, hey, could I pray about that with you? And um, doesn't need to be a pastor's prayers. It's prayers of brothers and sisters that go on frequently that are so important. With that said, since only about a third of you were here during the announcements, I'm going to mention these again because sometimes you got something going on and they're just there all the time and you forget about them. So this is a connect card. And we're just, we're still figuring out a lot of things. How does the community connect? What's going on? I wish I remembered everybody's name. Uh, that's one part of it. But here's another thing. So um, I'm just highlighting it right now. Oh, do this for me. This is even better. I, I watched my four-year-old grandson this week. So I learned to be very explicit. Would you pull this out and pick it up right now? I'm being explicit. Yes, Fred, that's you too. Oh, do you have one? Yep, everybody. Okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. Now you got it. So if you've got a question about the sermon, write it down. Right. If you have a prayer request, write it down. Um, if you're interested in baptism, put it on here. Whatever you, okay, just do it. Um, we have not begun passing an offering bag, but there's a box over there by Sharon. Sharon, raise your hand so they can see where the box is. Thank you. Sharon's here, even though she took a tumble last night. Thank you. Thank you, Helga, for helping take care of that. Um, but right there in that box, just slide them in there, okay? You know why I said that right now? Because I'll forget at the end of the service. Also gives you time, just as your process. And what we're doing this part, we want to be listening to the Lord. So whether it's Pastor Rob, Pastor Mike, Pastor Joe, or myself preaching, it's a human voice, but it's someone, we're unpacking God's word here. We, we need to hear from God. And actually, where we ended last week, the, the word was, um, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, we all got ears. Doesn't mean we're listening. It doesn't mean we're hearing Jesus. So we, we need that. And that's going to be our, our prayer in just a moment. Let me give some introduction to this text before Diane Warnke comes up and reads it. Um, Do you get the sermon title, Aiden? Is Aiden back there? He's gone. He disappeared. Did Jesus come back? Did Aiden think I was talking without anything? I don't say many things important. I understand that. Oh, I'll tell you what. In your worship guide, there's a title in that. You can look at it. That the way I title is being offended by a God who doesn't do what we want. There's a reason why I, why I titled that. Did you know I was going to ask for you? <laughs> I only tease people I, I enjoy. Thank you. There we go. That's a title. So let me... Let me kind of build up to that a little bit. This is from the last two texts. But I'm going to ask this way. Is God hard to understand sometimes? Man, I think sometimes just in life, that's true. I think when you read the scriptures, that's true. Does he do things that confuse you? Things that might even sometimes seem like wrong. I just want to say this word to you right as we begin. You're not alone. 
You see that in Scripture. I think you see that in John the Baptist's questions that we saw last week. I think you see it throughout the book of Psalms. So there's people that write it. Sometimes they write it critically of God. Sometimes they write it just asking um, with that. I think there's a big difference between honest questions and then um, critiquing God and bailing on him, if I can say it that way. And it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's a significant difference. And I, it may be that all of us get tempted in such a way. So what we're going to read today is a description of Je- Jesus is describing the current generation. But the way Matthew has this, this is right after John the Baptist, who's in prison, has asked Jesus some very important questions. And John, this is, life has not been working out how John wanted. We talked about this a lot in the, in the uh, 10 o'clock hour. John's in prison he baptized Jesus, and, and John, when he's preaching, he's basically calling people to repent. And John lives this very austere lifestyle in the wilderness. He, he fasts from food, so he's taking a very strict religious route in terms of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But when he preaches, he's preaching from the Old Testament. He says, the guy coming after me, Messiah, he will come with his winnowing fork and separate the, the chief the chaff from the wheat, and there'll be a judgment coming. And, and what he basically sees is Jesus isn't doing judgment like he sees in the Old Testament. Why not? So I don't want to get ahead of us, but we, we talked about that in the, um, in the other class. The, the judgment that Jesus will bring is actually comes in with his second coming. So we talk about how the nature of the way prophecy works and all that. But John's confused at this point. He's in jail, and it's like, Man, if Messiah's come and bring in judgment, and I've done all that's right, why is life so wrong right now? And he's, he's been put there by Herod. Herod's killed family members. John, John knows he's likely not going to live through prison. And after all he's done and proclaimed, so his question is, are you the one? Or should we look for someone else? And I think it's a very honest question that John had. But what, what's basically happened, this is not working out the way he thought. Now, interestingly enough, the Jesus' next words, this was all last week's sermon. Jesus is not condemning of John. He actually honors him. That's what he does. But he makes his statement. Go back and tell John what you see. The, um, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame are raised up, demons exercise, the good news is preached. And then he says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. It's a very significant phrase. So he says that there to John's disciples. I think it's a hook right into what we're going to get at now. And I think it's a question for us. Am I offended by Jesus? Or where might that be so? Because then he goes on to describe this next generation. So as Jesus' ministry is kind of unfolding, people have some very distinct opinions about Jesus, and we're going to see that. That is, they're making decisions about him. And really, this text in particular, what it is highlighting is the seriousness of stiff-arming and rejecting Jesus. I think all of us can wrestle with that in certain ways. It just is so. But the way this is laid out, there's kind of two sections. The first one, he's describing in verses 16 to 19, what I call, it's the fickleness of that generation. And, and you'll see it in the reading. Just opinion, whichever, whichever way. But the second part here in verses 20 to 24 is the judgment for rejecting the witness of Jesus' works because it's a, it, it's a very clear kind of thing. 
Uh, there's some key words here, key phrase. If you get your own Bibles or you want to even take one of these and underline it, that phrase, uh, the end of the first section, wisdom is justified by her deeds. That helps us see what he's saying. Um, I think the phrase in the second section where it says it will be more tolerable or more bearable for those past generations than for you that have rejected, I think those are key words in the text. So I like to see where we're going before we get there, if that's helpful to you. Sometimes we'll summarize this in kind of one sentence or one big theme, one main idea, and here's what it is. Jesus is simply warning about the seriousness of rejecting him. That's the main thing. But how do we respond to that? Okay, so you always want to get what's he saying, then how do we respond? If we only get what he's saying and I don't respond right, so what? How does he want me to respond? And it's this. I worded this, I hope it's not too complicated. Look closely at the fruit of following Jesus. The fruit. What's the result of following Jesus? And be warned of the consequence of resisting him. And I'll say this later, but I'll say it now. It's popular for people to drop out of church, and I understand why. I know lots of people. I've lived a long time. I've lived lots of places. I've not known that to be good for anybody. I'll just say. I just haven't. So in response, look closely at the fruit of following Jesus and be warned of the consequence of resisting him. That's kind of where we're going. That's Jesus' word. So if you would stand with me, Diane's going to come and uh, give Read the scripture so we stand in honor of God's word as we want to listen to what Jesus says here. Is that on? Yeah, get it. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of a tax collector and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you, and you, Caprinan, will be exalted to heaven. You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Lord, this word that we've just heard read, Jesus' actual words, it's a, it's a pretty serious word for us. And so I just simply ask this. You're the one that chose this text on this day. You brought us to hear it. So God, I, I ask you to help us to hear it in the way you want us to hear it. I, I pray, Lord, that you would guard us from this temptation that we all face, that we think someone else needs this message. Oh, I wish such and such were here. No, I need this too. So, Lord, help us to hear and receive and then respond as would be good for us. We trust that the Holy Spirit is the one who will do that kind of work 
in our lives as we ask for it, and we ask for it with thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Yeah, the tone of this one was really serious, wasn't it? So um, it's inappropriate to preach a message um, with a different tone than it's given. So I'm just telling you, it's coming serious. I'm going to end. It ends with some great comfort, I think, which we didn't get to quite. Um, but that's where it all is. That, to, what Jesus is doing here, I mean, right in the beginning, I think he's talking about the fickleness of that generation and also the seriousness of rejecting him. Um, so what I want to do is just kind of walk into, I don't have this projected. Th- this isn't new. He's been uh, warming us up to this idea that it's really important in terms of how we respond to Jesus. You cannot ignore Jesus. So I'm going to remind you, chapters 7 through 10, how he's building up to this. So if your Bible's open, you can turn to it or just listen. But you remember how the Sermon on the Mount ends. That's chapters 5 through 7. The last three little parts of that are really all about response. And, and one of the things he says, a tree is known by its fruit, right? I, I can tell it's, I'm not that good on trees. I know a few leaves, but fruit's real obvious, Okay? And so when you see the fruit, it's apple. This is not a peach tree, it's apple. You can tell that. You, that's meaning this, the results, what comes out of life. So he's saying that about responding to Jesus. There's lots of people that are oh, like Jesus, but they're not really following him. Then the next little spot is, it's really a toughie. He, he's talking about entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about judgment. He says like, many people will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? And he says, remember the phrase, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's kind of like, wait a minute, how can they be doing things for Jesus? And he says, I never knew you. And then, and then the last one is, oh, I'm sorry, he actually says it in that text, seven, yeah. He says, it's, it's the one who does the will of my father. It's not the words I speak. It's my response. And then he talks about his old childhood song, build your house in the rock, not in the sand, you know? So he's saying that, and he says, the person who's built their, their house on a solid foundation is one who hears my words and does them. Jesus has been speaking about this lots of ways for lots of times. He gets to chapter eight, then there's a couple of guys that says, hey, I'll go with you. And one guy says, I'll go with you. Just let me go bury my dad. We go like, man, that seems like harsh. Jesus won't let him bury his, his dad's not dead. He wants the inheritance. Because when his, he's the oldest, when dad dies and he gets the inheritance, well, that makes sense. You know, I, I got a security, I follow you. He, later on, when, uh, I think it's the next spot, he calls Matthew, who's a tax collector. Matthew, remember this, he leaves money on the table. He leaves it and follows Jesus immediately. So all the way along, he's been building this about what it means to respond to Jesus. Comes to chapter 9. Remember the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees? Jesus has been doing his miracles. He's delivering demon-possessed people. And when he delivers them, remember what the Pharisees say? They're looking at at deliverance, and they say, oh, it's by the prince of demons that he delivers demons. Do you hear their hard-hearted rejection? All this has to do with how we respond to him. Then we come to chapter 10, the one right preceding us. He sends the 12 out. He calls the 12 to himself. He gives them his authority. He sends them out with these instructions. Hey, when you go into a town or village, if they listen to you, the town's worthy. 
If they don't, wipe the dust off your feet and keep going. It's all about receptivity. If they receive you, stay there. If they're not, go on to the next. And then he says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. We talked a lot about that. That is, that kind of peace is an ostrich in the sand. I'm going to avoid conflict. Jesus brings, there's a, there's a decision point. There's a dividing line. People will have a decision about him. He makes it very clear. And then the verse we just read was, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this theme has been building. Somewhere along the way, we got to respond to Jesus. So it's true in the text. It's true for all of us. We all have questions. The questions aren't what's bad. It's what do we do with it? And all of us have to confess this. It's way too easy for me to look at someone else than myself. That's just my tendency. So here we go. Um, the fickleness of this generation, verses 16 to 19. It, he, he compares this to a childish children's song. I, Diane, thanks for the reading. I thought that was good. Um, what he says is this. <clears throat> John, who was, um, he was out in, in the desert as an aesthetic. Uh, he, he's living in a, kind of a primitive lifestyle. What did they say about John? He's got a demon. Jesus, it says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he, and he tells this little children's song. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. He's describing the actions, their response to him or John or the gospel as being childish. They're fickle. They're rejecting no matter which way it goes. Jesus was free to enjoy a party and be with Matthew, Matthew's friends. They were known sinners. He's, he is still bringing the truth of the gospel to them. But because of who he was, they call him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners. We talked about that in the earlier thing. It's interesting. They meant, mean that as a derogatory term, that he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners but we know this actually is Jesus' badge, right? It's a wonderful trademark of his grace. When Jesus comes in, he doesn't compromise, but he's, he's very comfortable getting in situations that religious people are not comfortable getting into. But why would he be called a friend of that? There's something where I think he accepts people as they are. He loves them, but he brings the truth to them. In that kind of a way. That's not how they did it. In their life, religious people do not associate with the irreligious. It's not Jesus. It's a hallmark. It's his badge. It's, it's a trademark of grace. But essentially what happens either way is they are rejecting Jesus because he is not doing what they think God should do. That's trouble for us, isn't it? Rejecting him because he... He's not doing what they think God should do. Their judgment, in a sense, then, is based on their expectations of God. If we're honest, don't we all do this? We do it with one another. We do it with God, too. So I'm going to step aside for a moment. I, I call this connecting the dots. You ever see, remember those old things when you were a kid? You connect the dots. And so we see this, we see this, we see, and we connect the dots a certain way. We think, oh, this is the way it's supposed to go. And we do that in people's lives. 
We judge their motives. They did this, they did this. So that means this is going on. How would we know? Because we're God. We connect the dots. Do you, you ever realize you connected the dots the wrong way? That's hard to admit that. But that's true. I remember sitting some years ago, my, I remember this distinctly. I was with this guy. Um, he was openly critical of me. I thought, oh, we can just resolve this, you know. And we're sitting down talking. I remember the chair. And it, he's saying, he's observing these things. And then what he's saying, it's like, he, he's like, he's judging my motives. Like, he doesn't even know what I was thinking, but he's making conclusions that weren't true. And I remember thinking, uh, if you could, you know, the old, old cartoon thing, if you could see this thing out here, I'm glad he couldn't see it, but th those are the, that's the space where God's usually working in my life. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm listening to him, but I'm here, I'm like, I'm going like, man, you're totally judging my motives. Just like that. It's like I could hear the Holy Spirit say, and you do the same thing to him. And I was. And I did. And one of the ways God used this brother in my life is really to humble me and how much I do that. So easy to see my faults in others. See what other does. So I actually, this is probably the moment when I started thinking about the log and the speck differently. That was earlier in Sermon on the Mount. I remember this when we did it. Where Jesus says, hey, why do, you, why do you focus so much on the speck that's in your brother's eye and you ignore the log that's in your own? First take care of the log in yourself, then you can maybe be helpful. So I don't know if this is the whole deal, but here's one part of what I think is true. I see that speck in the brother. It's a log in my eye. I think I see what is actually within me, my own faults. I, I tend to focus or see it more clearly in my brother. And I don't realize it's actually in me. And Jesus is saying it's a log in me. And thinking through it like that really helped me with this brother. And clearly Jesus is saying, don't focus on him. Focus on me. But I think additionally, I tend to think I see more clearly and that thing that's in them. Yet it's already here. Think about that for a while. I feel like that was one of the ways the Lord was instructing me. We do the same thing with God also, though, don't we? We judge God when he doesn't act the way we wanted. Won't say it out loud. We know better than to say it out loud. Maybe. <laughs> so John takes the respected way, the austere lifestyle, and he was severely criticized. He's got a demon, they said. Demon... Jesus took a different path, a surprising path. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. And then Jesus says this phrase. I think it's a key phrase in this section. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. What's that mean? Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom, the truth. You'll know what is true by her deeds, by the fruit, by the result. What is it like? Follow Jesus' life, what's it like? What comes out there? What actually comes through? What is true? Follow the Pharisees. What comes out? So we're at um, Monday mornings, what we typically do. So Pastor Mike's preaching up at, uh, actually finished preaching up at Sawyer this morning. I'm down here. We work through the text together. Uh, Micah was standing up here, gave an announcement early. He's one of our summer interns. So we kind of work through the text together. And one of the summer interns had this observation. I thought it was really interesting. Um, he described that wisdom is justified by her. He says, man, it, 
I think partly what he's trying to get us to do is to stop focusing on other people and their shortcomings and pay attention to ourselves. I thought, that's, that's not bad. It's really common right now for people to complain about church. So they don't go, they drop out. And I get the difficulties. You know, I always, we always say, hey, you know why there's problems in the church? It's because there are people in the church. I mean, that's just, that's just it. We say it all the time. That's it. We're all got a little bit messed up some way. It's just true. That's, so when people criticize the church, I don't like, think they're wrong. I'm a pastor. I know how bad it is. You know? <laughs> oh, sorry, bad pastor joke. So when, when I'm with discouraged pastors, I said, hey, buddy, we got job security. It's okay. People are messed up. We're good. That's, that's a pastor joke. You have to think about it for a bit. <clears throat> but it's just true. But let me, let me be clear on this one. Church, in that sense, it, it, it's, it's blemished. But on the other hand, it is Christ's body. The New Testament says that. It, it is plunging the depths of what that means is huge for us. And as blemished as it seems, this is a place, friends, where Jesus is present. He's present with the sinners and tax collectors. He's a friend of them. He's our friend. He's present. He's here. He's at work at people that get their perspective messed up and need to be adjusted. He, that's what he does. That's what he loves to do. He loves the church. He died for the church. I remember being confronted. Do I love what Jesus loves? So I got an issue with the brother. They got an issue with me. Can, am I walking away? Or does spiritual family work that out? Or are we patient with one another? Jesus has got way more patience with us than we do with one another. Forgiveness is not a human concept. It's right here at the cross. Only religion in the world that has a, a, has a symbol of execution is our logo. Think about it. We're called to something very different. Jesus loves the church. And as messed up as it is, I just want to encourage you to be committed to participating in it, not just showing up as much as you can. I have known many people for a long time and it's really popular right now. I, 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 if you want to know the truth, I think it's demonic. I think it's the spirit of the age. I think it's a whole bunch of things, but people are dropping out. I've just not, know, I know many people that have, I've not known it to be good for any of them. Not one. I get that it's challenging. But again, Jesus is present in his body. And as messed up as it is, as goofy as it is, he's at work here. Um, let me say this way too. I don't know if... It, <clears throat> In your life, where did you learn the most important lessons? By doing it right or making a mistake? When I make the mistake, I'm not doing that again. Secondborns are way smarter than the firstborns. Secondborns got disciplined way less than the firstborns because they saw the firstborn going, man, I am not doing that. Okay? But that's how our nature is. Now follow this way. Therefore, I learned more in the mess. I learned to depend on Jesus more when it's trouble. When things are going good, I don't. I'm self-reliant. Is it better to be self-reliant or dependent on Jesus? We all know the right answer to that. Why do I fight it when difficulty comes? I fight it. All I want to say to you is take the questions to Jesus. This is where we learn the most, okay? So that whole first part, just the fickleness of the generation. Guilty as charged, anybody? I am. 
I do this with the Lord all the time. And he will kindly correct me. Correction's a good thing, if we'll take it. Second part of this, verses 20 to 24, this is, this is the part where it gets really serious. There's a judgment for rejecting the witness of Jesus' works. Um, it's not that complicated, but it, because we're doing it kind of fast, it may sound like it. Um, I think the key phrase, again, is where he says it's mo- it will be more bearable or more tolerable for them. And he begins it this way. Here's verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So Fred, I think you pointed that out this morning to us in the class. That's the deal. They had the clear witness of Jesus and they didn't change. So here's what he says. Chorazin and Bethsaida, woe to you. If the same works had been done into you that were done previously to Tyre and Sidon many years ago, they would have repented. Tyre and Sidon, who's that? What's going on? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read, Aiden, did I give you the Ezekiel passage? Awesome, thank you. Let's try that. Ezekiel 28. I'll try it on the screen maybe. No, I won't. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to read the whole thing. Did I give you the whole thing? Yeah, okay. This is a prophecy from Ezekiel. So this is 500 more years before. But what I want you to do, this is a prophecy against this city that he's talking about. What I want you to hear is the attitude of that city. See if it reminds you of anything. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord. This is the prophet Ezekiel speaking to, to, to Tyre. Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas Yet you are but a man and no God. Though you make your heart like the heart of a God, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. What's going on there? Well, he starts it off, it's very clear. It's their pride making themselves their own God. And part of that is the way they've accumulated wealth and depended on it and and put that all upon their own doing. That's the spirit, Jesus says, of this generation. Does that sound familiar to you? Spirit of any other generation, you know? We do this with God all the time. So I brought out one of our favorite illustrations because it makes the point for me. It helps me remember we are honestly more comfortable fashioning God into our image than taking him for who he is. Mr. Potato Head. We like to build our own gods. Make him how we want to make him. I don't know why you guys, you guys get no hat, no hair, but that's how you made him. Okay? And I got extra body parts, so I want to still change that. We do that with God all the time. I would rather fashion God. Our culture does this all the time. You ever heard someone say like, well, I'd never believe in a God who? Fill in the blank. Actually, <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell you the person who said this. I thought they were great. We were, we were putting these up today and trying to figure out how to do it and make them so you could actually see them. And uh, someone said, oh, I don't like that one. 
I like this one. I said, I think that's the point. <laughs> we do this with God all the time. How many times I argued with him. It, so I, I think you can take honest questions to God. But here's the deal. Are we trying to fashion God or we take him for who he is? The scripture reveals who he is. You want to know him? You can ask him questions. But that's where he's revealed. Now, there's some parts that are, that are hard for me to understand but it's right there. Let me ask you a different way. For those of you that have been married or are married, if you think about it, how, how did that work for you trying to fashion your spouse into the image you wanted to have them be? Or, let me say this, are you loving them for who they are or for who you want them to be? So we just do this all over the place, right? And we do it with God. I want to make him a certain way. If he's God, he's God, right? I mean, he's like, he is. <laughs> Why do I try to be that? So I just put this illustration up here. to be. It helps me remember. I think we do this all the time. I think that's what's going on in that, this generation. And as Jesus is describing this generation, guilty is charged. Is this not our generation? What we've become? Yeah, it is. So, how about this question? Jesus says, I'll read this again. Uh, uh, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Here it is. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Why? Why? Why is the judgment more severe? I'm going to go to the next one. I'm lumping these together, Aiden. Um, and you, Capernaum, you'll be exalted to heaven? Nope, you'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works that had been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. They would have repented. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day, on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom, than for you. So essentially, Sodom's pride had led them to a self-centeredness and led to a sexual sin by ignoring God's law. That's what they're judged for. But it's strange. If the mighty works have been done to them, they would have repented. And the judgment's going to be more severe for you. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Why? Why? What's the principle? They had prophets. These, you have the clear witness of Jesus. The mighty works of Jesus. You said, they, he came right here. And he, I think when he's talking about... Um, Capernaum's pride there, I think it's this, like Capernaum, that's where Jesus' home base was. Can you just think of this? Jesus is centering his ministry out of Capernaum. He's doing his miracles from there. They got to be going like, this is cool. Like there's lots of miracles being done. People are showing up. I'm sure the like the little entrepreneurs got their little shops going. This is, this is awesome. And, but there's a little bit of like, yeah, we're good. He's doing it here. They were proud. He said, you think you're going to, no, no, being brought down to Hades. Because you haven't responded to these works in the way you should. So here's, here's the principle. I don't know if I have this projected, Aiden. You're accountable for what you know. And the more you know, the more you're accountable. Having greater knowledge and rejecting Jesus is actually a greater judgment because you know. And I think there's other places in Scripture that can, can go through that. 
okay? But I want to think about that for just a moment because he says it, it's, good, it's kind of the surpriser of the text. So think about our country for one, um, whatever you think about our country. But historically, in terms of Christianity or knowledge of the gospel, man, we, how many translations, English translations of the Bible are there? We just know. How many churches are there? Where are they? I know there's good ones, bad ones. But what, what we have compared to three billion people that are unreached, most who've never heard the name Jesus. According to this, who gets judged stricter? Oh, and maybe we are right now. Maybe that's what's going on right now. But I read this, I'm like, that, it's a sobering message that Jesus says. But it's really easy for us to think about things nationally or a nation and woe this and woe that and not think about us. So we should really zoom it in personally about myself. What do I know about what Jesus has said, what he teaches? Are there places that I'm stiff-arming him? Ah, it's too much for me, I can't do that. In that sense, my heart's rejecting that. If I miss that message, I miss that I think what God would intend for us. It's way easy to talk about a nation and all, all blame it on this person, blame it on that person, and miss what it means for me and my own personal relationships with people. In a world, it's, yep, it's broken. But Jesus wants us to follow him. Let me back out where I started. Chapters 7 through 10. Matthew is clearly, as he puts all these things together, he's looking at how our response, it matters. It does. And I'm, I'm accountable for what I know. More information, more truth actually doesn't get you into heaven. Do you know that? It's a life, a heart. That the, word, the biblical word is repentant. It's like it's admitting my need. Where I've where I've failed and how much I need him. Religious people need it and irreligious people need it. It's a thing all the time. I, I would actually suggest to you that repentance is not one time. It's more of a daily thing. It's a turning to him continually. Yep, we fall short. Don't let that surprise you. But we're loved by him. We're loved by him. I'm going to give you a tell. I'm, I, I'm almost to the end. But the verses after this, Link that in. Actually, I'm going to give you homework if you want to know that you'll like. But our, this passage is the response matters. So let me just ask it again. Where is it that I'm stiff-arming Jesus? Where is it that I'm resisting him or rejecting him? I'll link this into, I think it's verse 6, where he said, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And now he lays this out about this generation, clear rejection. He who has ears, let him hear. So I'll go back to those beginning questions again. How do I respond when the Lord's plans are not what I planned? But what about Jesus' teaching or his life is hard for me to embrace? Is there a place where I stiff-arm God? A long time ago, I read... Um, I don't know if any Gene Edwards has written a couple books that I like, but here's, here's the way he phrased this, and I think is more about the, 
the John the Baptist section. Here it is. Will I follow a God I do not understand? I think we got that, Aiden. Will I follow a God I do not understand? Will I follow a God who does not live up to my expectations? Or do I want to make God and fashion him into someone, something that's comfortable for me? I am accountable for what I know. There's a serious tone in this message. So for me to ignore it in the preaching would be derelict duty. But I just want to urge us all to consider him deeply. Now, for those of you that are discouraged, don't be. I'm giving you a homework assignment. Read the next verses. Every day next week. I'm serious. We're only going to do six verses next week. It's the only place in Scripture that speaks specifically of Jesus' heart. It's very interesting that after this hard word, we need to hear heart. Because so, how we respond matters. But then he speaks of his heart, and it's an invitation, come to me. All you are burdened and laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I'll give rest for your soul. Read them together. So I would say this, your homework... <clears throat> Consider this message, but, but this next week, every day read those six verses. Think about the words. What do they mean? What do they mean in your life? Every day, okay? I'm going to make, no, I was going to make you raise hands. Who's going to do this? I won't do that to you. That's unfair. But I'm, that's how serious I am. Uh, let me say this. So I've thought about those verses a lot. Actually, there's a, anybody seen Dane Orland's book? Um, Gentle and Lowly. Anybody seen Dane Orland's book? I'd recommend it. He unpacks these verses through the whole scriptures. It's, it's super worthwhile. In our entire lifetime, we will never explore one-tenth of the depth of the love of Christ for us. We need to know that. So hear this word about responding to him seriously but also know it's connected to Jesus' heart. Let's pray. Father, I pray this. Um, I don't, there's so many things in life I don't know. But this word you've intended for us today, for all that are here present, any listening on the internet, and God, I just ask it simply this way. You'd help us to respond to you as would be good for us. You know the struggles of our heart. You know the situations of our life. You know where our resistance has been. You know where our questions have been. You know how to work in every single situation. And that's what I ask for according to your grace and your mercy. And for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.